Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hi, we're back. We're glad to be back. We've been on the road. On the road and in the air, we've just been going around this world of ours trying to speak to parents here and there and everywhere. We want to tell you about a a couple of conferences where we've had the opportunity to be the keynote speakers just in the last two Saturdays. Before we do, though, Linda, um, you know, usually they, they rerun this show a lot, but often it follows immediately after BYU Sports Nation. So for any football fans that are still tuned in, let me take a big risk and um, tell you that we're writing our Ezra News article here sometime in the next couple of weeks on something that may be more than controversial. I think the headline's going to be, Think Twice About Whether You Want Your Child to Play Football. Now, that'll set off a lot of alarms, but I'm just so fed up, Linda, with the mentality that we see in football more often than not. This Richie Incognito thing, this big lineman for the Miami Dolphins who has been bullying a rookie and all the exposure of the uh, clubhouse mentality and so on. And it's a, kind of a militaristic, win-at-any-cost, violent culture. And, boy, we've got to worry about that in our society. It, it goes hand-in-hand hand with so many other violent influences, including video games and so on. And we're reading so much about the concussions of kids at every level of football, and we're concerned about injuries. We're concerned about the exploitation of college athletes who make millions of dollars for their university and come out of it with only a broken up, beat up body. I, I love sports. I, lo- I frankly, I love watching football. I love Peyton Manning particularly, but I really worry about what's happening to the mentality, the football mentality in this country. And I'm, I welcome this whole blow-up over the Miami Dolphins and the uh, bullying in the locker room and so on, because I think it'll force a lot of these issues out into the, the airwaves and maybe we'll deal with them and we'll reform the football culture. Sorry, I had to get that off my mind. Well, I I did hear tonight, maybe this will be resolved by the time you hear this, but I heard tonight that there is a possibility that the coach told Incognito to toughen up Martin. <laughs> now, yeah. that would be the absolute end. I mean, I just can't believe that whole culture, that whole mentality. We have been too chicken to have our kids Football. Well, let's not get into that. We did we did have a couple of kids that we discouraged from playing football for some of the reasons we've mentioned, but also because they were they were both all American high school basketball players and we thought they ought to stick with one sport. But although well, they say there are more injuries in basketball than football. Well yeah, but they're but they're minor injuries yeah. uh, compared. But I Watch for our Desert News piece. We're trying to figure out how to say it in a delicate way that won't upset too many people. And by the way, Linda, Richie Incognito. (laughs) 
Is that an ironic name? That is hilarious. I mean, he's anything but incognito right now. He's everywhere. But, you know, it does bring up another point. I, I worry most for the kids, the big kids who are in the trenches, the kids who are on the line, the offensive and the defensive line, they are incognito. That's the ironic thing. Nobody knows their names unless someone gets in trouble like this guy. But but they're just up there bashing each other, helmet to helmet, game after game after game. And it's the quarterback and the receivers that are getting all the positive attention and the glory. And and, then, and that's a little like a, a war mentality. I mean, you send these young kids, these privates out on the front line, and they're the ones that get get killed. It's not it's not the it's not the generals or the politicians. And in a way, football's like that. These kids, these big kids that bash each other all game up on the line of scrimmage, and nobody knows who they are. And um, I, you know, I've got some problems with it. I'll just put it that way. I think they've figured that out by now. Um, <laughs> I we have just really been appalled at the war mentality going on, and how sad that is. That um, so many, so many have thought that they have to have a violent video game in order to make it, you know, real or to, hopefully not real, but to make it fun. And it really isn't true. We um, just also went to Ender's Games because we like Orson Scott Card. And we kind of like the message that's very subtle. It's kind of anti-war. And um, the whole, and actually it's very creative. He is science fiction, which I don't usually like, but they he really they did a pretty good job on that apparently. Um, the book was good. You read the book, right? Many years ago. Yeah, many years ago, and I I know why you brought it up, Linda, because even in that movie, that sort of militaristic militaristic win at any cost um, nonsense that that was illustrated there a little bit too. Now I better back up just a little before I start getting hate mail. Certainly there are good things that come from football, like there are from any competitive sport. Yeah. Kids learn discipline. Some of our best missionaries, when we presided over a mission in London, were kids who'd been football players. They knew how to work hard. They had, they had discipline. Um, I think BYU's football program is a, a model program, and the kind of behavior that we're reading about in the NFL wouldn't be tolerated for a second at a good university program. Um, in fact, there's case studies this year where uh, players who defied the BYU um, honor code were kicked off the team or suspended for several games. So I'm not saying it's it's I'm not saying it's endemic. I'm just saying where it happens, this sort of bullying, sort of macho, sort of um, war mentality needs to be weeded out in football, and we need to work for the safety of the players. It's, it's just a whole different... I, I heard some comments on TV the other day about uh, just comments that have been on blogs and on articles and so on, like, that kid just needs to toughen up. I mean, really. You know, he's just a sissy from Stanford, and he just needs to toughen up anyway. You know, fuck up and just take it. And boy, I just don't, I can't agree with that. I, I know this is controversial for many of you who may be listening, but we just think that that is just craziness to teach kids to kill each other, basically. So, if you're going to have your kids play football, parents, get to know the coach, get to know the locker room culture, 
be sure it's something that's really positive, and it can be. And yeah. I think for many, many kids sure. it is. Think about whether you want to start them too early. I'm a little appalled by some of the young kids I see out with full pads, smashing into each other, playing tackle football. You want to watch out for the safety of your kids. You want to watch out for the character and the culture of the locker room. A lot of things you want to watch. Hey, and let's say we are East High fans. All of our kids went to East High, and they are doing really well in football this year. Of course, good, healthy Talking competition about is, is great, but it can just go too far. Talking about a local Salt Lake City High school, which some of you nationwide listeners may not know about, but that's true, what Linda says. Now, that isn't the only thing we've been thinking about this week. We've, um, I mentioned we've had these two opportunities to keynote two really worthwhile parenting conventions. One was the First Lady's Uplift Utah Families Conference held here in Salt Lake. Jeanette Herbert and Governor Gary Herbert were the initiators of it, and, and it was all about getting parents together and helping each other, learning from each other, trying to become better parents, better grandparents, and we enjoyed that a great deal. We'll talk a little about that, but hats off to the governor and the first lady for taking up this cause. Yeah, I think it really is the first lady. This is her baby. I mean, every first lady has something that they're really in the arena for on the cause, and we really take hats off to this first lady because she really believes in families. They have a wonderful family themselves and can see the difference that families, good families, can make in our world. They do indeed. We, we enjoy the governor and uh, Mrs. Herbert. I play tennis occasionally with Governor Herbert. He's a good tennis player, by the way. But we love that they are aware and conscious of the fact that family is the basic unit of our society and that any strong institution, whether it's a company or whether it's a city or whether it's a state, it ultimately is dependent on the strength of its families. And so what better cause could they be working on? Um, the second place we went last Saturday was to keynote a convention in Phoenix, another extremely worthwhile convention called Families Against Pornography. I think it's Families Fighting Pornography. Uh, families Fighting Pornography, which is even a better name because it is a fight. It is, it a, is a fight. Speaking of a war, this is a war. It is a war. It's so scary. For those of you who have young children, you know how scary this is. And, it, you know, it, it was really wonderful because they raised awareness. They brought a woman in from the South who is her deal is to have a million moms um, marching against pornography because it is ruining so many children, so many lives, so many marriages um, that they just thought they had to do something about it. So um, this was actually an interesting organization. Um, we met the wonderful Farnsworth family, and those of you who have been near Arizona, Mesa, Gilbert, you know this family because I think they're 12. They're everywhere, the Farnsworth And are. everybody has their own way of contributing, and their youngest daughter, Jill, decided this was her thing. Her father started on this 
when he was a just a young man, wasn't he? Just a, a kid. Well, he got worried about it as a young father, although the irony there is that in his day, pornography meant a very different thing than it does now. I mean, pornography in his day was a magazine hidden behind other magazines on a counter at the back of the store, and that was about it. And uh, now, of course, the pervasive nature of pornography scares so many parents to death, and rightfully so. Well, and, it, you know, Abercrombie would be pornography oh, when we were young. So many advertising. We see. So many advertisers are going way over the line. This business of sex sells is, is one of the worst cliches and mottos ever, but people treat it as though it was the gospel truth and try to sell almost everything with something that some would label pornography. Now, uh, you mentioned this million moms thing. It's a, it's a southern um, evangelical movement, and it was represented there. And, and, and it is true that when you get enough people to boycott things, you, you may sometimes get real results. And, and when you delve into pornography, we have some dear, dear friends who are highly involved in financially supporting an organization many of you have heard of called Fight the New Drug. And their main approach or their main thesis is that pornography is an addiction. It's as much an addiction as drugs or any other addiction you could find, and it literally affects the chemicals of the brain and is a very, very difficult addiction to break. And so they were represented there in Phoenix and uh, several others, counselors, various people. A lot of the audience were people who had serious pornography addictions in their family, sometimes um, the grown-ups, sometimes the kids. But it, the beautiful thing about this kind of a conference, Linda, I think it gets things out in the open. People talk about it. And they really understand that it's something we have to get a handle on and do something about. So let's take a brief break. And when we return, let's talk a little. I, this ought to be a popular show, Linda, because it's about football and pornography. What do you think? <laughs> Who could not listen to that? We'll be back in just a minute. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back. Um, we got kind of going on that first half on a lot of wild stuff, but, you know, life is crazy and scary for our kids and our grandkids. There are things that we really do need to talk about and think about and figure out how we can help to make life a little bit better. Let me just say, this is kind of funny. I, I mean, I got to try and inject a little humor here. We don't want to get this too heavy, but we have a wonderful producer for this show. Uh, his name is Benjamin, and he always comes on in the middle of the show during that middle break and asks us what we want to call the show. And I was pulling his leg a little bit. I said, I think we better call this one Sports and Porn. And he he was very diplomatic. He said, well, is there anything else we could call it? <laughs> It'd be just a little bit better. And I anyway. said, well, let's call it addictions. And that, that's what I wanted to get to a little bit here, Linda. Let me just introduce it, and then you'll have some thoughts on this. There, yeah, addictions is, a, is, a, is an incredibly 
nuanced word. I mean, it means so much more and, and has so many more negatives connected to it than it used to. It used to be, you know, several years ago that an addiction meant uh, you had a drug problem or, you know, maybe you were an alcoholic or whatever. But there really are a lot of addictions that come from our technologically centered culture today. I mean, Pornography is certainly one of them, and as we mentioned in the first half, it is literally an addiction that follows all the chemical brain patterns of any other addiction. And violence is an addiction, and I think people get addicted to violence when they play uh, too many violent video games. They get desensitized and then addicted. I mean, it's kind of a process. Well... As we know, it can go to the extreme. Certainly it's rare, but to go to the extreme, um, you know, to have these people walking into schools and killing children and uh, malls and all over the world, people are just, they're kind of addicted to it because, and all of them, I think, have been watching violent video games. Yeah, but it's, but I mean, that's the one in a million. What I, what we're most concerned about are the, are the large percentage of kids who, whether you would call it an addiction or not, they are confronted and involved quite frequently with things that really are vicarious violence. And frankly, that hinges a little on what we talked about earlier, that the, some football programs are really sort of built around a kind of a violent mentality. Others are not. There's certainly a right or wrong way to do it. But again, my bigger point is there's lots of kinds of addictions in this world, and we've just got to be so careful of them. The other thing we have to do, and I want to get to this after your next comment, Linda, but is the best way to fight evil things like addictions and like pornography and so on, is the best way to fight it with fear and warnings and trying to make people aware of how dangerous it is and how, how much it can hurt them and how scared they should be. I'm sure that has to be a part of it, but is there another side to it? I want to get to that in a minute. Yeah, I think I know where you're going with that. And I, I do have to say that a lot of you would agree that your kids are addicted to technology just in general, not necessarily pornography, but technology. I mean, they're texting. They're sitting by each other in the park texting each other, and they just can't talk. I mean, you've seen those things on the Internet, I'm sure. Parties with everybody with their phones out. And, um, you know, games, everybody with their phones out. It is just such a, a scary world. And just today, I've been, we've been preparing for a talk that we're going to give down actually in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And we found that people all over the world are so worried about technology and their kids' use of technology. And uh, we have a daughter who has two teenagers right now and was terrified about that. And she did just what you were talking about as, you know, some insurance. Before she allowed kids to have a phone, they wrote up a contract. Your children, we love you. You have access to, to technology that we could not have imagined in our wildest dreams. And so... We know that it's good for you. It also can be bad for you. So we're setting up some rules. And there are 18 things in this contract. She actually got it from someone else and then, you know, specified for their own family and simplified. But it was really, really important to set up rules 
in your house as to what can be done, what can't be done. They need to turn their phones in, these teenagers, um, before they went to bed so they're not texting all night, and which they do. Um, they, you have to have the password as a parent. If mom or dad flips up on the screen, they demanded that they answer that and not ignore it. And there are some things that you can set up with kids, I think, that really help to make you feel more safe with them with their technology, and they feel more safe as well. I think, yeah, I mean, you make a good point, Linda, that technology in itself can be an addiction, and it is for many adults. You've seen the numbers and the statistics on how frequently people check their emails. Oh, last week I saw 100 times an hour, oh, no, 100 times a day. People yeah. normally check their telephone. But, and, and I think someday soon we should devote a whole episode of ours on the road to just the control of children's access to technology. But I want to get back to the, uh, the real... One reason it's on our mind, I mean, in both of these conferences where we delivered the keynote, the role we tried to play was actually a, a positive role. And the reason for that is there were a lot of workshops at both of these and other speakers who, who know far more than we do about addictions, about chemicals in the brain, about various dangerous effects that can come from various addictions. And so there was an overload, we thought, of the sort of let's be afraid of this, let's fight it, let's do everything we can to protect our kids from it, it's terrible, it's going to kill us, it's going to eat us, and so on. And then we, we applaud all that. We don't have any problem with any of that. However, we felt like the role we had to play was, let me see if I can explain this very, very clearly. Sometimes the best defense is a good offense. And sometimes if a child learns about sex in a positive, wonderful way at a very young age, what I mean by that is the idea that sex within a marriage between two committed parents can be a beautiful, wonderful, bonding, oneness kind of thing. And kids can actually understand that if it's taught to them very, very positively. And that positive vision can become a huge deterrent to the kind of negative aspects of sex that range from pornography to experimentation to all kinds of promiscuousness now, I'm not suggesting it's the only answer. I'm not saying you just teach your kids about how wonderful sex can be in a committed marriage and they'll never have a problem with pornography. Not at all. We need both an offense and a defense. But I do worry about the extreme where some parents or some counselors or some leaders are so concerned about pornography, and rightly so because it's such a growing problem, but so concerned that their whole approach is be scared, be afraid, this is a horrible thing, this is a terrible thing, before a child has a foundation of the fact that sex is a wonderful thing with the right person in the right place. In other words, if all it is is fear and terror and badness and disease and so on, I wonder if that child grows up with any ability to ever have a healthy attitude about the right kind of sex with the right person. So all I'm saying, and what we tried to do in both these keynotes, was to present a balanced approach. And 
many of you know, one of our books is called How to Talk to Your Child About Sex. And it is based on pretty much entirely on the premise that um, one great big deterrent to early sexual experimentation and dangerous kinds of sex is to have a vision in a child's mind that this is a beautiful thing if it's done in the right way with the right person. So we need balance. It's like so many other things in life. Balance is the key. We do, and we also need an offense, as you mentioned earlier, and that's one great way to have an offense. Another one is to talk to your kids about making decisions in advance before they're faced with really hard decisions, especially moral decisions, because that's what we're talking about today. But um, we suggest that you sit down with your kids and talk with them about pornography and the dangers of it, and then have them actually go through what they're going to do when, not if, because everyone is faced with this, whether it's just an Abercrombie ad or whether it's hard porn. Let me just interject. Linda's saying, just to clarify, after you had the talks about sex that every parent should have with their children, at least by age eight, and once you've established that positive foundation, then Linda's saying, now you, you sit down and you do have this talk about pornography and you have this talk about all kinds of potential dangers. And then they have to have some ownership on it. What are you going to do if you, you know, something pops up on the TV or pops up on more likely on the computer or your phone or whatever? What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? Do a case study. Or you're at a party and all the kids are watching something and you find it objectionable. What are you going to say? It's like role play. Yeah, and so that they know what they're going to do when they're faced with it instead of being confused or getting sucked in or whatever. So they're kind of ready to do it, to do what what they know is right. It really is so helpful to have an offense in a case like this. And... Boy, does that, has that helped a lot of kids. We have so many testimonials of saying, I just had no idea, I have no idea that that's what you were talking about. But it really is helpful for them yeah. to think, okay, turning it off, turning away, this is it. I think you've, you've said that really, really well. And, and another way to <clears throat> sort of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, another way to verbalize it is that you as a parent you need to define your own goal, your own objectives in a positive rather than a negative way. In other words, if, you're, if, if your mentality and your goal is, I have got to protect my kids from pornography, I have got to make sure my kids don't have early sexual experimentation. I, now, I'm not saying that those are not wonderful goals. Those should all be in your mind. But if that's the only way you think, you will not be as, as effective a parent as if you say, hey, my goal is to help my kids have a positive attitude about life and to be good kids and to be leaders and to stand up for what is right when they see it. And that's kind of what we're saying as we conclude the show. Yeah, it is. And we, we along with you, are terrified for our grandchildren whom we know are going to face this, but we know that if, they're, if we do have an offense, if we've got something that we've got that's pure and good, let your kids know about it, and um, we wish you good luck. We'll see you next time on Ayers on the Road. Mm-hmm.